in God's Word with you all uh, this morning. We are going to be diving into the book of John today, chapter 4. Um, as, as, as we prepare to dive in, we talked about this several times, how our hearts are longing for God. And he alone could truly satisfy us. And that's why we talked about this being a time of pursuing God. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about what it's like to see God satisfy the longings of our soul. Uh, We're finishing up our little mini-series on pursuing God. When we started, or we ended 2020, we talked about pursuing God in fasting. And then we talked about pursuing God in the waiting. Last week, we talked about pursuing God in discipleship. And today, we're going to talk about pursuing God on mission. Pursuing God on mission. During this time of prayer and fasting, we've been asking God to grow us in our faith, but also to open doors for ministry as we approach this year. We can never take our eye off of Jesus, and we can also never take our eye off of the great commission he's given us, which is to make disciples, to lead people to Jesus and grow them in that faith of Jesus. And so we want to make sure this is the focal point of what we do as we get ready to launch forward into the rest of this winter and spring months ahead of us. And so today I want to talk about what Jesus does in satisfying a longing soul. So in my message today, there are two, two focuses I want to look at as we study John chapter 4. On the one hand, I want us to see the longing of the human heart that you and I have from birth and the longing that we need Jesus who alone could satisfy it. On the other hand, I want us to see how Jesus meets someone in their longing and similarly wants to use us to be his representatives to meet others in their longings. All right, you see that? So we want to understand longing, but understand how God uses us to bring that message to people. And to do that, we're going to look at John chapter 4, which is just a remarkable, remarkable passage in the Bible. And we're going to see how Jesus is very gospel tunistic in this passage. To be gospel tunistic is to say that there is the gospel, there are opportunities, and he's going to cause the gospel to bear on an opportunity. Or as we talk about those at the church here, we say those are gospel tunities. And we as a church need to be gospel tunistic. That when God creates an opportunity, we need to see those for what God has done through them. Say, man, God, you've opened this door for me to share the gospel. Jesus was extremely gospel tunistic. Jesus was always looking for ways to cause his message to bear on someone's life. And we see that in John chapter 4, we see there a story of a woman. Now, many of us are familiar with the idea or the term the Good Samaritan. That actually comes from the Bible, a story Jesus told about a man who was a Samaritan man who helped a man who was beaten up on the side of the road. Some people have called this story the story of the Bad Samaritan. It's a woman whose life is very messy, but I think to say She's the bad Samaritan isn't fair. I think better to say she's the broken Samaritan. She's a woman whose life is messy, but we're not given a backstory. What we do know, though, is she has a longing. Her soul is thirsting for something that she has tried to fill with other things and has left her dry and parched. You ever been there? See, in this woman, we see a broken woman who reflects a lot of what we've experienced. Sure, it's 2,000 years ago. Sure, she lived in a different land, spoke a different language, lived in a different culture, but we have this in common with her, the human heart, a longing. And Jesus offers to her what only he can satisfy. 
That's himself. Eternal life. And so today, would you join me in the book of John, chapter 4? I'm going to read the first opening verses. Would you stand to your feet if you're able, whether you're home in the overflow or here in the sanctuary? And I'm going to jump into John, chapter 4, reading from verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to, can you say had to? He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Amen. This is God's word. Father, I do pray. As we set our eyes upon this text, that you would open our hearts to what you want to teach us. God, I pray that you would massage our weary hearts, remove the scales from our eyes, allow us to see you and your beauty and what you offer us. And I pray, God, that we would then long to be your instruments to a thirsting world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. We named this church The Brook because we saw this to be a community that's thirsting. A community that just longed for something deeper than what the world has to offer. And in the same way, we find a woman here, a Samaritan woman, or the woman at the well, as she's often known by, there longing for something. Now, let me give you some context before we dive into the text. It says that Jesus left Judea, which is where Jerusalem was, and he went to go back to Galilee, which is about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, there were no Ubers back then, so this is quite a journey. And Jesus went and departed with his disciples for Galilee on a 70-mile trip. Now, if you notice there in chapter 4, it said that in, in verse 2 that he had to, he had to go through Samaria. Now, what does it mean by the fact that Jesus had to? 
Well, there are two different ways you can travel from Jerusalem to Galilee in the north. The one is you could go east, cross the Jordan River, walk around the Jordan, cross back over the Jordan, and come to Galilee. The only reason you would want to do that, because it took longer, was because you didn't want to go the other route. The other route was shorter, but it required this, that you had to walk through the land of Samaria. And many Jewish people they wanted nothing to do with Samaria. So some opted for the shorter way and just kind of set their eyes where they were going and walked through Samaria, and others opted for the long way to, de- to not deal with it. It says here that Jesus had to go through Samaria, when in actuality he didn't have to on the one hand, but he had to because it was his will. He was compelled by his divine appointment that waited for him in Samaria. So Jesus had to go through Samaria and get there. And upon his journey, Samaria, this, to Samaria, there was a city called Sychar, which was about 30 miles away from Jerusalem. This was rugged terrain. So for Jesus to get to that point, it was undoubtedly hours of walking through some difficult places that made Jesus weary. He comes to Sychar and comes to this well in Samaria. Now you might be asking, what's the big deal about Samaritans? Like, why do Jewish people not like Samaritans? Well, for one is, racism is not a new phenomenon, church. This has been something that's part of human existence. You see, the Samaritans were seen as half-breeds. The Jews' problem with them goes back to the year 722 B.C., when the Assyrian Empire came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and took the northern kingdom as slaves and exported them to the land of Assyria and Babylon. But what they did is when they removed those, quote, ten tribes of Israel, a number of people stood in the land. They were the poor and unwanted people because they needed to stay there to keep the land. But what the Assyrians did was they also allowed other foreigners, Gentiles, to come into the land. And so what did those Jews who remained in the land do with those Gentiles? Well, they started families. And what was eventually happening was those who were of the, quote, pure breed of Jews now became a mixed breed, so to speak, of Jews and Gentiles. But with that intermarrying also came a forsaking of the God of Israel. And so those who were in the northern kingdom The Samaritans were now viewed not only as those who were of a mixed race, but those who have forsaken the God of Israel. Those ten tribes that went off to to Assyria never came back. And that's why even today they're known as the the lost tribes of Israel. There were the Samaritans now in the northern kingdom, and the Jews of the southern kingdom viewed them with disdain. They intermarried. They were not pure Jews. They had forsaken God. And so Jews wanted nothing to do with them. But here Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had to get to Sychar because he had to get to this well because he had to meet someone there. And at this well, we're told in verse 7, it's now, I'm sorry, in verse 6, it tells us it's the sixth hour, which means it's noon. They, they began their day at 6 a.m. So the sixth hour means it was 12 p.m. noon. And at that time in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
Now, at first glance, it might appear to be very coincidental. It's not coincidental at all. This is no random woman, no random Samaritan woman, or let alone a random Samaritan woman with a messy life. She is somebody that God had handpicked to arrive there. You see, church, we've got to understand this about our mess and about God's mission. That God will take a seemingly coincidental moment to bring about an eternally consequential moment. God will take what's seemingly coincidental to bring about what's eternally consequential. See, this moment that seemed random was not random. This moment had eternal significance. God was going to do something for this woman's life that would change her forever. We've got to understand, church, that in God's economy, there is no such thing as coincidence. Even if you're from Chicago, you can't give credit to chance. But to our awesome God. And you don't want no problems with him. There are no coincidences. There is no such thing as the word luck, unless your name's Andrew. Some of y'all know about that. Luck has to do, and coincidence has to do, with the lands of unicorns and Santa Claus and mermaids. It's fantasy. Because in God's working, accidents don't happen. It was no accident that a ram was caught in the thicket when Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. It didn't just so happen to be that Pharaoh promoted Joseph in the time of the famine. It wasn't a coincidence that Pharaoh's daughter came upon the Nile River when a baby named Moses was there in a basket. It wasn't by accident that Ruth found herself in Boaz's field. It wasn't by chance that this giant fish happened to come upon Jonah in the Mediterranean Sea. It wasn't by accident that Jesus was on the shores of Galilee when Peter and Andrew came back after a night of unsuccessful fishing. It wasn't by accident that this woman shows up at 12 p.m. noon in the middle of a hot day at a well there in Sychar where Jesus was waiting. And it was no accident that you're here right now listening to this sermon. It is not by chance that you're dialing in right now. Because God wants to take what seems coincidental to bring about what's eternally consequential. If you come today and you're thirsting in your soul, and deep down inside you're like, man, I've tried all kinds of things and they are not satisfying. I want you to know that Jesus is saying, I alone can satisfy that. And you are listening right now because Jesus wants you to hear that. He wants you to understand that he is what your heart longs for. For those of you who know Jesus, think about what it took for you to put your faith in him. For me, it was no accident that my camp counselor at Lake Geneva Youth Camp saw me, this little boy, pulled me aside after a gospel message and asked me where I stood. I don't know his name. I can sort of picture his face. But he was not there by accident. Your life's circumstances are not by accident. And God is a pursuer of you. Church, if you've put your faith in Christ, I want you to give him all the praise 
for the eternally consequential moments. But I want you to understand something. Is that he places you in places for eternally consequential moments for other people. During the first week of our fast, Erica and I got away for four days at a cottage to vision, to pray, to just recharge. I mean, we were, we were spent. And one night we went to, to get some carry-out food, and all the places we wanted to go to, just they were closed, they, just, they were too far. So we decided to go to a place, River City Grill. Never ate there before. It was our last option. Erica called in, ordered the food. I went in to pick up the food. And as I walked in, the guy, it was it literally, he was the only one working there. He came to the front desk. He saw a chandelier shaking, and he's like, do you see that thing moving? That's creepy, right? Right away, God's like, he's thinking about spiritual things. And I told him, I said, you know what? It's probably the fan. And he's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Began to process his transaction. All the while, the Spirit's like, tell them about me. And I was like, I'm just coming to get dinner, God. <laughs> and it, God's like, I brought you here. And I'm like, no, this was the last place open. That's why we're here. <laughs> Processed the transaction. And I just could not shake what the Spirit was doing. I grabbed the food and I turned around. I knocked over all the gift cards. From the, from the counter. And I was like jittery. Walked out the door and went into the car. Sat down, looked at Erica, turned the car on, drove away. And as I drove, I heard the Spirit saying, you know you're not going to sleep tonight. I have brought you there. You guys are fasting and praying for mission opportunities, aren't you, Eric? When I got to the next light, and I looked at Erica and said, I need to go back. And I said, the God, the God was telling me to do this. I didn't obey, and I, I need to go back. Turned around the car, and I was afraid, like, man, maybe he's gone now. Maybe I missed the opportunity. I went inside, and now there's two guys there, and they're on the phone. And I'm like, oh, this is, not, this is even more nerve-wracking, right? Like, there's two dudes. They're talking on the phone. So I walked in, and I was like, where's the bathroom? So he's like, over there. So I went to the bathroom. I'm like, Lord, why is this so hard for me? I will literally, probably, never see these guys for the rest of my life. And then as I was there in the bathroom, it's like the Lord was like, but there's two guys now that need to hear. And I said, Lord, let them be off the phone when I get back out. I got, off the, got back out, and they were off the phone, and there they were. And I said, hey, uh, yeah, we were the ones who called earlier about the, we, we called in our order. He's like, oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, we're not from around here. I'm from Chicago. He's like, oh, you should have tried our deep dish. I'm like, and then finally I was like, look, man, God, God brought me here to tell you that he sees you. He sees your prayers. He knows your needs, and you're not alone. And a dude looked at me like, what? And then the new second guy said, amen to that. And I was like, so I said, look, I'm from Chicago. I'm a pastor there. I give my life to Jesus. He changed my life. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose from dead. And I began to share the gospel with them. And I was like, I, 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 this might be crazy, but this is, does this resonate with either of you? And they're like, it does. Like, it's been a hard year. I, I need to hear this. So what's your name? He's like, my name's Michael. My name's Isaac. 
And there, we are, there I was, I was able to share the gospel with them in a restaurant. I was able to pray for them at the counter. And I pray, I pray that the, these men would be changed for eternity. I say this because it seemed seemingly coincidental that God brought me there when it was eternally consequential. But I tell you this because I failed at first, church. And I know there's times that you've failed when God's pressed your heart. I'm so thankful that God doesn't say, I'm done with you. But he says, turn them back around and do what I told you to do. Church, we've been praying for opportunities of the gospel. And God's going to open doors. We've just got to listen to them. And when the Spirit is saying, this is the one, I brought you to that place to meet this person, which seemed like a coincidental event, but I, I ordained it. Now you get the opportunity to be my messenger. And so there Jesus was at a well with this woman from Samaria with a messy life, all there because God had planned it. Jesus sparked a conversation with her. And he says to her, give me a drink. And she's amazed. She's like, why are you talking to me? Jews don't like people like me. Men don't like women like me. And you're having a conversation with me. See, it wasn't socially acceptable for a rabbi like Jesus to have a conversation with a woman in public, let alone a woman with a sketchy past. But Jesus never bows to social norms, church. Ain't nothing like this holding our Savior back from reaching somebody. He's like, I got to talk to her, so I'm going to talk to her. So he asked her for a drink of water. And again, Jesus so purposeful, already knowing where this conversation is going to go. And she's like, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, and see that there in verse 10, and who's talking to you? You'd ask me for living water, and I'd give it to you. What's so amazing is living water in the Bible takes on different images. But the vast majority of times when living water is spoken of, it is spoken to refer to God himself. I think in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where God says, I have, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And secondly, have gone after broken cisterns that can hold no water. But God calls himself the fountain of living water. And Jesus, watch this, Jesus is saying, I want to offer you living water. Jesus is telling her, essentially, without her knowing, I've come here to offer you God. I've come here to offer you myself. I've come here to satisfy the thirsts that you have for. Jesus is saying, I'm offering, you the fount- uh, I'm offering you living water. And just like we can't live without H2O, we can't live without living water eternally. And here this woman's still not catching up. She's like, but you don't have any bucket. The well was about 100 feet deep. And this lady's like, you got, you got to draw this thing. You got to go deep into this well to get some water. And all the while, Jesus is like, I'm about to go deep into your heart and bring water to it. She's there talking to Jesus saying, are you greater than Jacob? Jacob dug this well. I mean, like, and you're offering water. Like, I'm not following you here. And Jesus tells her there in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. And she's like, that's true. After all, she's there at 12 p.m. noon. And Jesus says, but 
whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she's like right away, well, give me some of that water. I, I want some of that for sure. But she's not still quite following all that Jesus is offering, but she does understand there's more to just the water that gets into her mouth here. And Jesus is there offering her water. See, Jesus offers what our hearts most deeply long for. And what is it? Himself. See, you may be here today and you've tried all kinds of things to satisfy you. Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ and you're like, man, I've tried success. I've tried romance. I've tried education. I've tried money. I've tried, I've tried everything. But I still wake up thirsty. And if you are a child of God and if you strayed from him, you know this thirst. And so Jesus is offering himself because that's what our hearts need. There's nothing that compares to what he offers. So Jesus is ready to offer her the water. But here's the thing with Jesus. All of us need to understand that we need him before we can enjoy him. And so what did Jesus do? He says to her in verse 16, go and call your husband and come here. Well, what did she say? The woman answered him, I have no husband. It's like, well, Jesus, you know all things. Why did you tell her to go get her husband? Well, Jesus says this, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And she says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Jesus tells her to call her husband, and she says she does not have one. She's like, that's technically true, but you've had five husbands. This sounds like a Maury Povich show right now. But Jesus isn't there to rub her past in her face. See, sometimes we try to read between the lines the wrong things, but I understand this to be this, that Jesus wants us to understand that our points of pain are actually pathways for the gospel. Our points of pain are actually pathways for the gospel because what Jesus is showing her is that she needs Jesus. She has had multiple relationships And Jesus isn't there to expose her like Maury Povich exposes people. He's found a way to capitalize and monetize people's pain. That's not what our God does. He shows us our sin not to slap us with disgrace, but he shows us our sin to show us we need him for his healing, his forgiveness, his redemption, his satisfaction. We're not given a backstory. We don't know why she's had five husbands. We don't know if any of them or all of them have died. We don't know if any of them or all of them had left her or if she left them. We don't know what happened, but what we do know is that she is a woman who is hurting. She is at a well at 12 p.m. noon by herself. In this culture, the women do do go to the wells, but they go into the wells at the early morning hours, during the cool of the day, before it gets too hot. Why didn't she go with the other women? Was very very likely because she had been ostracized. 
She had been cast to the side. People have given up on her. People have rejected her. But here the Son of God receives her at 12 p.m. noon in the heat of a day. Her pain would actually become a pathway for the gospel. Her pain is wrapped up in relationship. I got to pause here for a moment, church, because all of us have a longing for relationship. All of us do. We were made for that, for relationship. But the problem for us comes when we think relationships will satisfy our deepest longings. I can't tell you how many married couples we've counseled. We had to let them realize, like, look, your spouse cannot ultimately satisfy you. Your spouse was not made to satisfy you. They don't have the capacity to satisfy you. And so you're upset at your spouse for not giving you something they have no capacity to give. And so what then happens is many couples become resentful toward their spouse. They become very jaded. They become very selfish because they expected their spouse to satisfy them. I can't tell you how many singles we've counseled who've gone through relationships that have left them more thirsty than they thought the relationship would satisfy them. They're just longing because they're like, man, I thought this person was the answer to my longing. But they don't have the capacity to satisfy. And when you're looking for other people to give to you what only God can give, you're going to find yourself thirsty and at a well all by yourself. Church, all of us have to understand that when we expect other people to give what only God can give, we're going to be hurt. And here this woman is here as an example of that. And I praise God that God is like, I want to show her and all of us that he is the one that we need. And so he exposes her pain. And she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she goes on to say, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Well, that conversation changed real quick, didn't it? She went from, yes, you have five husbands, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband, to where should we worship God? Well, notice what she's doing there. She's doing what we all do when we're convicted by our sin. We change the conversation. (laughs) It's so much more easier to talk about God, to talk about doctrine, to talk about theology than it is to apply it to our lives. It's more comfortable to have discussions about ideas, even discussions about God, than it is to have discussions about my life. And so here she would rather talk about worship than about what she's doing with worship. But Jesus is here talking to her, saying, you know what? I'm going to be gospel tunistic. I'm going to capitalize on this change of conversation because Jesus not only wants to transform our heart, but he also wants to transform our worship. You see, that's, that's, that's what Jesus is working at here. He wants to transform our worship, her worship. So he engages this conversation change because at the end of the day, the problem of her heart is that she's worshiping the wrong gods. She's worshiping relationships. She's worshiping men. She's worshiping acceptance. And Jesus is like, you need to worship God. 
So Jesus says, woman, believe me, in verse 21, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. That's referring to the Samaritans' uh, beliefs. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, amen, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, God doesn't just rescue our thinking, but he wants to rescue our souls. He wants her to understand that, yes, God wants to make a worshiper out of her, and that the time has come where we can worship God anywhere. God is spirit, and so we can worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship of God is not confined to geography, topography, or sociology. Worship of God is a matter of cardiology, our hearts. And when our hearts here, we can worship him. And this is what Jesus is telling this woman. John Piper, a pastor, retired pastor in Minnesota, says that this is the matter of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You see, where people are worshiping the wrong God, true worship of God doesn't exist there. And because it doesn't exist there, missions exist to get the worship to them. See, as we look at this year ahead, everybody is a worshiper. Everybody on this earth worships something. But when you worship the wrong thing, true worship doesn't exist. In our culture, in our neighborhood, On our block, people are worshiping self, relationship, dreams and ambitions, and the list goes on and on and on. And maybe today you find yourself as a worshiper of other things, and Jesus is saying, those things won't satisfy you. Worship me. This woman now is understanding she is talking to someone altogether different than what she thought at first. She thought she was being offered a drink of water. When she's starting to understand God's living water. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. The word Messiah means deliverer, the anointed one. The one who would rescue God's people ultimately from sin. She said, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. He'll, He'll make all this clear. And what does Jesus tell her in verse 26? I who speak to you, am he. Jesus is saying, I'm the one that you're longing for. I am the living water. And make no mistake, the woman understood at that moment what was being offered to her. Now, we, we don't get the exact language, but we know by her response that she repented of her sins and put her faith in Jesus. Because what, did we t- what does it say in verse 27? Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do, you, uh, what, what do you seek, or what are you talking with her? Why are you talking with her? So the woman, watch this, left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. She left the jar of water. She left the thing that she had brought 
to give herself water to satisfy her thirst, and she left satisfied without the water. She left satisfied without the drink. Why? Because her soul's longing had now been received. She had received forgiveness and new life through Jesus, the Messiah. And she could not keep her mouth shut. She went back to the town where she had been ostracized, back to the people who rejected her and said, you got to see what I just found out. And her enthusiasm must have been so compelling that even the people who didn't like her got up to see what she was saying. Man, oh man. I got myself sweating today. Church, this is what it means to find our satisfaction in Jesus. And on the flip side, this is what it means to be about Jesus' work of offering this message of satisfaction. There are no coincidental encounters, but there are eternally consequential moments. Jesus is what our hearts long for. And God will use your points of pain and people's points of pain to become pathways for the gospel, to transform not just their hearts, but also their worship. Now, I've shared with you guys before, I remember in 2019, uh, Erica and I were in an airport on a way to a conference, and we saw an Uber billboard. And I remember this thing struck me so, so much because as I saw the billboard, it said this on it. It says, 15 million rides a day, Opportunity everywhere. Doors are always opening. And I thought that's a great tagline for Uber. Opportunity everywhere. 15 million rides a day. Doors are always opening. But right away, the Lord's like, that's what I do. I am always opening doors. In fact, Uber's mission statement was it says, we ignite opportunity by setting the world in motion. I'm like, y'all stole that from God. Y'all stole that? You guys stole that straight from my Savior. Because God ignites opportunity by setting the world in motion. He has set his church in motion. He has set you in motion. So as we pursue God and pursue him on mission, church, this year, look for the gospel opportunities. Look for the open doors. Look for the woman at the well of your workplace the woman at the well of your block, the woman at the well of your park. And God's going to create a divine encounter for her to hear that he who satisfies her deepest longings is Jesus. Will you be about his work, church? Man, I hope and pray we are. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ who on the cross said, I thirst, so that through the cross, we could no longer thirst. Thank you for Jesus who died for our sin, however we have sinned. Thank you for Jesus who conquered death so that we can have eternal life. And just as this Samaritan woman was blown away by this message of salvation, I pray, Lord, that we ourselves would be blown away by Jesus' forgiveness and the life he offers on the cross or through the cross and his resurrection. God, set us out on your mission. Open doors, God. God, maybe there are doors that we 
saw open but ignored, and we got to go back to them and turn around the car, so to speak. God, I pray we would do it and trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I know you want to use this as your instruments, God. God, this week, this month, this year, I pray that our heart would not be to have conversations in order to win arguments, but to see a soul get saved. God, I pray that we would not be about trying to demand change, but to compel with love and compassion the truth of the gospel of your forgiveness through faith and repentance. Use us, Lord. This song is our prayer, Lord. Use us. We give ourselves to you. Give us that honor of leading someone to Jesus this year, Lord. Give us that great privilege of knowing that you orchestrated a circumstance for us to have that conversation. Give us the joy of saying, yes, Lord, I did what you told me. Maybe I'm rejected by that person. Maybe he received. I don't know. But, Lord, I, I want the joy of just knowing that I did what you told me to do. God, would you work that in us, Lord? God, we make this our prayer. Keep it on the front of our mind, we pray. In Jesus' mighty and holy name, the satisfier of our souls. Amen. church man it's so good to gather and worship with you all today and go out knowing that your heavenly father will lead you your spirit of god will empower you and jesus has a message to speak through you to the people you come in contact with with this i want to leave you with god's blessing the lord bless you and keep you church the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace God bless you, church family. You are dismissed. We will see you all next week.